Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez, I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Welcome back, everybody, to another awesome and amazing episode of the Aviation Mentors Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this uh, wonderful day today. I am so happy today, Carson, because the sun is shining. I see blue skies out my window, and it's no longer raining. And guess what? I'm at home. I'm not traveling the whole time. It's it's fantastic. It's got to be a good feeling. Uh, you've been gone nonstop. You were, I don't know, where were you? Vegas, Colorado, I think, and then uh, back home. I've been in different countries. I've been in different states. Uh, I have only been uh, at home, like, I don't know, I think like uh, three or four business days this entire month. Uh, it's been pretty crazy, uh, the amount of travel I've been doing. So Vegas, Mammoth, Florida, uh, all, all parts of Florida. Mexico, uh, Texas, you name it. I've been there this month, even this year, actually. I think January, I was traveling a whole bunch too. But I did get to uh, fly this weekend. It was really nice. I took Anthony's airplane and uh, and we actually, I flew up to, uh, to Mammoth and uh, went snowboarding. So that was actually a lot of fun um, dealing with density altitude and uh, dealing with uh, pressurization and all the fun stuff. And I actually made it from in actual flight time, I was sitting at, uh, on John Wayne's ground waiting forever for, uh, 737s to take off and, and land. But after I was done waiting my 40 minutes, uh, on the ground, it only took me like one hour to get from Santa Ana to, uh, Mammoth in, uh, in the Aerostar. It was so fast. It was ridiculous. I mean, how fast were you going? Like 300 knots ground speed. It was pretty fast. I could not believe how fast I got there. And then uh, on the way back, it took me like an hour and 30 minutes because I had uh, I had quite a bit of headwind, like 40 knots of headwind at 12 or 13,500. I can't remember what I was at, but yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I couldn't believe how fast it was. It, it really beat the uh, six to eight hours of, uh, of driving, depending on how bad LA traffic would have been on, on Friday and, and then also on Sunday. So, uh, that was a really nice flight. I enjoyed it. I don't get to fly a uh, fly going fast that often, but uh, yeah, you know what I'm doing today. What are you doing today? I'm flying the Icon this afternoon. I can't wait. Nice. Yeah, that's why you're excited about a clear day. That's exactly why I'm excited. Like you're usually inside working. I'm not sure why you care about it. So. <laughs> that's why. Because that's why. T minus three and a half hours. Brandon is going flying, and uh, well, enjoy your last two days home before you uh, you leave for the Philippines, right? Exactly. Exactly. Then you're gone for another two weeks, and two weeks after that, I know I haven't met anybody who uh, who can get me flying in the Philippines. Even though um, Stratus has one pilot, her name is Phoebe, um, but she hasn't flown in a little while. So uh, I'm gonna try to get her to find us an airplane to go fly. I want to go fly in the Philippines. I think it'd be fun. I flew in South America when I was there, and uh, it's really neat flying in a foreign country. So I'd love to do it. I'll bring my headset just in case then. I'm not going to bring my headset. That weighs too much. Because if you're flying, I'm flying, right? Uh, maybe. I don't know. We'll yeah. see how lucky Carson is, huh? All right. We'll get into it for today, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, today, we're actually going to be talking about something that is extremely important uh, to all pilots. It doesn't matter if you are a, a student pilot, if you are a private pilot, instrument-rated, commercial, multi-engine. Uh, I can go through the gamut. Rotocraft. Um, you can even be a glider-rated pilot. doesn't matter. Or if you fly a big 747 or Airbus A380, does not matter. And that is a run-up. 
A run-up is extremely important. Now, a run-up looks differently on a big jet compared to a small aircraft, but a run-up is still important, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Yeah, good thing we are, because I chose this episode, so hope you guys like it. When I was choosing it, I was like, this kind of feels a little more like a ground lesson than just talking like some of our other episodes. As the CFI here, why don't you tell me why I should do a run-up instead of just hopping in the plane and taking off? Absolutely. I mean, uh, ground lesson might be really, really boring for a podcast episode, so we're going to do a little combo of both today. But run-up's really important because you want to test the aircraft. You want to make sure that there's no issues with it whatsoever. You really want to ensure that the airplane is safe before you take off. I mean, you can do a pre-flight inspection on the aircraft, and that's just everything on the ground, right? Well, you need to make sure your systems are working. Once you start moving that airplane on the ground, systems are going to start moving around. Gauges are going to start moving. There's all sorts of things that can break. And you may even notice if you're if you're flying something with what we call steam gauges, it's not really steam, but um, just analog gauges compared to some of the new glass cockpit, right? When you're flying in the morning, especially in a cold area, you got to remember there's there's oil and grease in all these instruments. So what happens in oil and grease when it's cold? It's viscosity is a lot thicker, right? So sometimes your attitude indicator might not even come alive uh, for a little while uh, compared to in the summer where everything just works right away, or it might be really hard to start your engine or things like that. So also when you're running up an airplane, you're, you're doing what? You're testing the engine most of the time. So the thing you need to do is you need to make sure that everything is, is working properly. A big part of that is also waiting for the engine to warm up. And I'm saying that because we're kind of in winter right now. I think it's still winter. Is it winter right now? When's it turn spring, Carson? I don't know. I feel like it should be spring. I don't know, right? He's supposed to it's supposed to be spring soon. Oh, yeah. Well, when is Groundhog Day? That's got to be coming up. I think in March. It already passed? It already passed. Oh, wow. Well, see how <laughs> see how, how up to date I am on the Groundhog? Did he see a shadow, shadow or not? I don't know which one's which, but there's going to be an early spring. I remember that part. Oh, perfect. I'm really happy to hear that because that means, what does that mean, Carson? More flying <laughs> for all of us. Yes. So sometimes you even have to uh, make sure that, that the oil's warmed up and just make sure that the airplane is properly lubricated before you start running up the engine. You do not want to uh, to go full power when, when the oil has barely gotten on top and its viscosity is still super thick. That's not going to go good for your engine. Uh, and uh, nothing's going to be lubricated properly, right? Yeah, well, the pre-flight inspection, that, that's for the body, right? That, that's everything that you can see. And then once you do the run-up, that's for everything under the hood, everything you can't see. So, you know, speaking of, of under the hood and, and things you can't see, most student pilots are going to be in a Cessna 172 or a Piper Cherokee. So what do you have to do to, uh, to really ensure that you're doing a, a proper run-up to see what's going on under that hood? Uh, well, first off, all airplanes you fly are different. And I think we mentioned this in the last episode or a few episodes ago. Um, every airplane is different. And it doesn't matter if it's a 172 or a, and another 172 or if it's a 172K and a 172N. Uh, all planes are different. Or even if it's two 172Ns or SPs or, or whatever you may be flying. or Same thing with the Cherokees, right? There's going to be little nuances. Uh, for example, on a 172K and a 172N or an SP, uh, I'm going to go with the N because I know the, the engine model on that. Um, the N has an o, O320H2AD motor, which is 160 horsepower. And then the like, K model or D model or those things have an O300. I can't remember the horsepower on that, but I think it's 140 horsepower if I remember correctly. Don't quote me on that. Um, but obviously, they're different horsepower motors. 
Um, they also, one is a six cylinder and one is a four cylinder. Um, they also have different magnetos. And for example, that H2AD motor has a dual magneto that has to be timed in a certain way. And the other engine has two magnetos uh, that are totally separate from each other. So when you're, when you're checking the engine and you're, you're checking, um, checking the different systems, you need to be kind of consciously aware of these differences and changes, especially if you go from one airplane to another airplane, because the drop might be like 25 on each uh, magneto on one engine. And it could be like 70 on another one. Uh, so you need to understand that, Hey, that's not a big deal as long as it's within its tolerances uh, per your checklist and per the POH. Uh, keep in mind that your POH supersedes whatever checklist that was given to you uh, by your, your CFI or the flight school. Although a good checklist will incorporate everything the POH has verbatim, and then we'll add additional items for safety. And it won't change the order of them or anything like that. It just adds additional items for safety. So that's the way that I prefer to, to, to utilize that type of checklist. But speaking of checklist, you should be going line by line in your checklist. There's so many students, and uh, I would I would argue a lot of people that aren't students uh, that skip through a lot of things on their checklist, or they go through memory items and then try to go through the checklist after. I think that's okay if you're doing like a pre-flight inspection. You could probably do that and double check yourself. Most of the time, if you're being true to yourself, you'll always find out that you missed something, right? Now, with me, I prefer to go through the checklist verbatim and go line by line by line when I am in an airplane. And it's for good reason, because why would I check the propeller if I didn't have RPM in? right? I wouldn't pull that back and check if it feathers on a multi or something like that. It wouldn't work as well. I couldn't test it properly unless I did it in order. And in order means you might have to have a certain RPM in. Like you can't check the magnetos when they're at a thousand RPM, right? I mean, you can, but it's, you're probably not going to notice a difference in it. And if you do, there might be a bigger problem with your airplane. So you need to do it in order, right? So I really like using checklist. One, you must use them. It's kind of uh, illegal if you don't and more unsafe if you don't. Uh, so always utilize your checklist. And like I was saying, a lot of people stop using them uh, for some reason as soon as they become comfortable with their airplane. That's a really bad habit to get into. A lot of things can be caught on the ground and they're so easy to find. I know if you're flying an a airplane with a, a vacuum system, I know students who have lost their vacuum pump like right before takeoff and they would have known that it was going out if they just would have checked their suction gauge and they just saw that it said zero. <laughs> but the thing is people just skip things sometimes and it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. That's when we have general aviation accidents in our industry, just people skipping things and not listening and not doing the things they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, there's a lot you can skip. I mean, there's a lot of little words written on a, on a tiny little checklist. But the reason that we have that checklist is so you can go line by line and make sure you don't miss anything. And I know it's a little bit harder to pin down the differences between one plane and another, since, like you said, they vary even by year. But how do the, a run-up differ between a single engine, a multi-engine, and a seaplane? Just, you know, it's, I think it's a little bit easier to, to nail those ones down. Yeah, absolutely. So a single engine is just, that's what most people are on here on already, right? A multi-engine, it's pretty much the same thing, except for you have two engines that you do them either simultaneously or one at a time, depending on what you're flying. Most most people do it uh, simultaneously. 
I mean, they run up the power simultaneously and then check each side individually. Let me rephrase that. On a multi-engineer plane or something more complex, you're going to check the propeller, like I was talking about earlier. You're also going to check if it feathers or if it feathers properly. That's going to be a big thing. If you're flying multi and you lose an engine, you want to remove drag. So you want to make sure that you can remove as much drag as possible, and that is feathering the propeller. So that is a main difference in a multi-engine. And in a seaplane, you'd probably wonder, how the heck do I do a run-up in a seaplane? I'm moving. Well, guess what? You're just doing it while you're moving. So you're not going to be going so fast that you're you're starting to fly, obviously, uh, but you need to do the run-up while you're moving. It just happens to be you're floating and you've got some power in. You might be doing it a little bit quicker too, uh, but still reading the checklist. And if you have to slow down and pull your power out and redo it again, then that's what you do. So that's a little bit of difference in a seaplane. Now, if it's an amphibious seaplane like the Icon, uh, then you can just do it on the ground. You can just hold the brakes and do it on the ground. It's identical to the other. Uh, there is something you do on like a before you even get to the run up and like you check the uh, the water rudder. You make sure that that comes down if you are planning on going in the in the water. Stuff like that. So I would say uh, there's not much difference between a seaplane and a normal aircraft, uh, except you're just moving. Uh, you can't be tied up to a dock and be doing it. I guess maybe you could, uh, but it seems a little dangerous. Probably a lot of people would. What if your airplane starts turning? Uh, yeah, I would. I would say just do it while you're while you're moving. That's the proper way. Well, that brings up another point that I had a question about. At least I want to get your your input. Yeah, doing a run up on the go is it's what we call it when you're performing your run up while you're taxing. And like you said, you have to do it in a seaplane, but. For all land planes, is it acceptable to do a run-up on the go? If you're proficient and you've got somebody else reading the checklist items for you, absolutely. Airliners do it every single day. They do the run-up on the go. Uh, it's acceptable. I would say it is unacceptable for a student to do it. I would even say it's in a student in any way, by the way, meaning a commercial student, it's unacceptable. A IFR student, it's unacceptable because you just don't have enough experience yet. You can't do that checklist properly. You can't do that run-up properly while you're moving. And you might be using the brakes way too much or way too little or taxing way too fast. So I wouldn't necessarily do that unless you're in a working environment and you've been doing this a while and it's needed for proficiency in getting off the ground a little bit quicker, uh, but still safely because obviously safety is key. And then I would even add, if you find something that doesn't feel or sound or, or isn't right, then you're going to need to pull over anyways and go do a proper run-up or diagnose that issue or bring the airplane back and have maintenance look at it, depending on what the issue is. So I would say that really kind of depends. Well, speaking of it kind of depends, let me give you a scenario because I also want to know if this is acceptable. Um, it's happened quite a few times at Riverside where there's a jet you know, right at the end and he's getting ready to take off, but that means there's a long line of flight school airplanes behind him on the taxiway. Is it acceptable to do one on the taxiway when you're in, when you're in line? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you need to be mindful of something. You have to be mindful of everybody behind you and airplanes don't have uh, a rear view mirror. So you can't really see, you have to actually turn your head and, and check. So whenever you're doing a run up on a taxiway, you need to be mindful of everything around you. So be mindful if you turn to the right and now your prop wash is going to go towards the runway, which is probably most acceptable. Or if you turn to the left and now your prop wash is going to go towards a bunch of airplanes or people uh, on the ramp, you need to be mindful of that. But you should turn your airplane like 45 degrees 
angle. That way you're not just blasting the airplane behind you with, with rocks and stuff and chipping their propeller and paint and their windscreen and stuff like that. So yes, it is acceptable to do that. And I would say that it is very acceptable to do that. Thank you. That makes it a little more clear. And you know, you mentioned doing a run up on the go and if you find something wrong, you're gonna have to pull over anyway. So what exactly does something wrong mean in a run up? Like what, what would you find that would make you turn around taxi back? My radios are super staticky on a run-up. Uh, like for some reason, as soon as I put the power in, like a bunch of static popped up. That's happened to me before. My suction gauge has gone out during a run-up. That would make me turn around. I have an abnormal noise while taxiing. And by the way, each time I've had an abnormal noise while taxiing, it's always a, uh, a seatbelt stuck inside the door and it's flapping and hitting the side of the airplane, making it sound like there's something ridiculously wrong and it was just a seatbelt flapping. I haven't done that in several years now, <laughs> uh, but it'll happen to every student, every CFI. It's pretty hilarious. It's hilarious to me, but not necessarily for maintenance or them because now they're like searching for something and they cancel a flight over or something so stupid. Stuff like that. Also, things that are kind of more common are mag drops. Magneto will go out or your magneto won't be in time anymore. That's probably the most common reason to go turn back around. And uh, sometimes the, the magneto just went out or just became out of time, things like that. So I would say those are kind of the big things that happen. Obviously, anything abnormal that is not within the specs of your checklist, you need to go back. Don't go fly the airplane. That's the way it works. Thanks. Well, don't feel bad about the seatbelt. I've gotten another run up before and Tower told me that my baggage door was open. So, well, baggage, yeah, baggage doors have, have opened during flight or it's been there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of a common thing too. There's also another thing that I've seen people do and that's leave their pedo cover on and then realize it inside the run up area. And, uh, I'm like, really, <laughs> I think you should go back and go, uh, go take that off. Yeah. Well, all sorts of things happen. That's why you, you go into the run-up. It's uh yeah, the real test of, of going, taking off and flying. So I would much rather find out something's wrong there than once I start, start rolling or get up in the air. Yeah. Then you have to make decisions and it becomes a whole lot more dangerous. Exactly. It's very true. Well, I think that about wraps it up for talking about run-ups. Obviously, we can get into every single item on a checklist for a run-up, and maybe at a different time we'll do that. But that's a, probably a 30 or 45 minutes in its own episode. But thank you, everybody, for listening today. Uh, we really appreciate you. Uh, we've had a blast talking about this. No pun intended when uh, Carson's talking about prop blast when you're uh, doing a run-up on the taxi. But if you'd like to reach uh, out to either one of us, you can reach us on our emails, Brandon and AviationMentors.com, Carson at AviationMentors.com, or you can re reach our producer, Mark, at Producer at AviationMentors.com. Please do not forget to hit follow, like, uh, share, all those fun things on every streaming platform that you're listening to us on. It's a huge part of growing our aviation community and helping grow the podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And as a wrap up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride. See ya.